Lord, we set our hearts before you once again. We are asking for you to speak to us about the things that are important to you, the things that are on your mind. And Lord, we want to engage with you in what you value. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. You would release revelation. We need to see. We need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. We need to see what you're wanting to show us. So open our hearts. I'm asking God, you release clarity on our minds from your word. We want to, we want to connect to your story. Connect to what you're doing. Just give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you have a, a little outline in front of you, the Forerunner Ministry. I kind of love this little outline. This is um, a bunch of notes just condensed in like the most dense version. So it's like a three little three-pager that's like two and a half pages. It's like lots and lots of thoughts really distilled down. Um, so we've... If you're new around here, you've probably heard the term forerunner somewhere. Obviously, our young adult ministry is called that. Um, if you've been around here anytime, we throw this term around forerunner. And what's interesting is so often that term goes undefined. Like, so it's like, yay, we're forerunners. What does that mean? <laughs> Who knows? You know, and, and so... Uh, it's not, it isn't really very effective to have flashy language without actually having clarity of what we're actually saying. And then what tends to happen is you have this interesting language and, and then you don't define it and then people assign their own meanings and then it gets a little bit like funky. And so we don't want to do that. What we want to do is actually try to give some uh, biblical definition um, and, and biblical narrative around this term forerunner. And so it's, it is a big deal for us. Um, we think about the, the key components in this sort of message, this ministry, a lot. This is kind of how we orient. And so um, uh, I think probably some of you guys, if not all of you guys, are in an internship like this because God is already sparking your heart with the thoughts that are in this idea of being a forerunner and, and what that actually means. So let's go ahead and look at the outline. We'll walk through it. So um, there's a, a forerunner message, and that message is a preparatory message. Um, it's, you know, just the term forerunner is one that goes ahead and prepares. Okay, one that goes in front and prepares. And so um, when we think of the forerunner message, we, we kind of distill it just in its most crystallized form to preparing our hearts for the coming revival preparing um, our hearts for all the drama surrounding the return of the Lord and preparing others to stand through that time of the greatest crisis and greatest blessing the earth has ever seen. And so when we think about forerunner, we think about calling our own hearts and calling others to prepare for what's coming. Now, that's not the idea of store up food and guns in your basement. Um, it's not that. It's getting something on the inside of you 
from the word, from the spirit of the Lord, that's going to sustain you through days of great blessing and, and great power, through days of great persecution and great suffering, and then calling others to think that way. Um, one of the ways I've said it is if you're not, um, if, if, if you're not thinking day-to-day, uh, uh, how you live day-to-day, if you're not thinking about uh, the way you're going to live at the end of the age, if your day-to-day doesn't match that coming day, the day of the Lord's return, the day of great revival, the great, day of great uh, judgment, then you have to change how you're living day-to-day. If how you're living day-to-day doesn't make sense in light of this massive revival to come and the return of the Lord, you got to change the way you're living day-to-day. And so that kind of thought process is what, what motivates this concept of, of forerunners, forerunner message, and, and living as a forerunner. So in the Bible, there's a variety of transitional generations. I named three here. Um, the one that I was actually just looking at these notes thinking, oh, that's a big omission, is Noah's generation. And what we say, what we, what we use, when we're, what we're uh, defining, when we're saying transitional generation, what we're talking about are seasons of history where the context of the earth completely changed. Everything shifted in that generation. Um, and, and when you look at uh, Moses and the Exodus, you look at Jesus and the apostles, you look at Noah and the flood, you look at those seasons, there's a distinct way that things were before, and then everything shifted, and then there's a distinct way they were after. And so those transitional generations, they inform us of this idea of being a foreigner, because in each of those, God, he spoke to his people beforehand about what was coming. And so you see it with Moses, you see it with Noah, Um, You see it in Jesus' day with people like Anna and John the Baptist. And, you know, John the Baptist, he's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem 30, 40 years before it happened. He's prophesying Jesus is coming. He's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, he's, he's saying all those things 30 or 40 years out. And so when we think about God using forerunners, um, it's really his people who have an ear to hear. It's that sons of Issachar having um, discernment of the time and the season that you're living in and then living in light of what God is getting ready to do. And it's not that you forget about what you have to do day to day. Like, don't hear me say, like, don't pay your bills and just, you know, like, whatever. Like, I'm not saying you don't take care of your day in and day out. You do. You, you live uh, with a, a, a godliness and a and a, a, a courage day in and day out with a heart that's alive and joy, knowing there are incredible things getting ready to come. And so this message is like, it hits so hard right now because we're still in the wake of COVID-19 shifting the context of the entire earth. And so, whereas, you know, I, I mean, I've heard Mike Bickle preach this message for 25 years. And 25 years ago, it was like, it was powerful, but it was like, okay, so what's going to happen? And there'd be certain events, maybe Katrina or, you know, tsunamis in the, the you know, Indian Ocean and stuff. And you go, well, maybe, maybe there's these birth pangs. But we're now looking at a moment, like just zoom out for half a second. I know you've learned how to live through COVID. 
but we're looking at a moment where we've got people on Zoom, and nobody knew what Zoom was two years ago. Like, seriously. And this is the most normal thing. We're living in a moment where, you know, the news yesterday was, they don't have to wear masks in Texas anymore. Like, how weird would that news headline have been 18 months ago? I mean, just, right? Like, just imagine you're in a, you're, you go into a prophetic dream, you see a headline in the prophetic dream, it's 18 months ago, they don't have to wear masks in Texas. You'd be like, what the heck? Like, I don't know, I had pizza dream, you know. But what, you're, what you've gotten to live through right now is a moment when the entire context of the earth has shifted. It's all changed. And the, the great longing of the human heart is, oh, that it would go back to business as usual. We just get normal again. That everything could just be like back to normal and, and ease. And, and in America, that's probably our biggest idol, right? It's really just the God of comfort. Anything that messes with our comfort, that's the devil. Anything that increases our comfort, that's the Lord. And that's the way we think even, you know, that's how the church thinks. And, and for sure, uh, you know, that's the, the prevailing philosophy in the American uh, psyche. It's like more comfort, more for what makes you feel, you know, secure, safe, you know, cared for, more about how you are more actualized. That's really the American mentality. So anything that makes for more comfort, we think that's good. Anything that is disruptive, that's bad. Well, we're living in a moment where the earth is disrupted. Mm -hmm. And so it needs to, it needs to educate us, instruct us right now. And, you know, there's this thing where we just kind of kind of get like, why am I here right now? Why am I breathing air on the planet right now? What, you know, what is it in the mind of God that God would see to it that I should be alive in this hour of human history? You know, what's going on in, in, in heaven's, you know, playbook? What, what's God put in place? Well, here's the thing. These transitional generations, everything changes in them. And the greatest transitional generation is the one in the generation which the Lord returns. Okay? In that generation, it's like everything is going really pretty easily. And the, the, uh, Paul said, while they say peace and safety, 1 Thessalonians 5.3, he says destruction comes on them like birth pangs on a woman. And uh, there is going to be a, a lull. You know, these things continue to, to move and then people, they, they long for their comfort. They long for their comfort. So in the middle of all these shakings, people are going to be grasping for comfort and bang, in the context of that, everything is going to change and it's never going to go back to normal. Well, I think we're already there. I think we're already, we've already crossed the line. Now, it, it might be that we get a couple years of rest, but the birth pangs are going to continue to hit and people are going to continue to grasp for comfort, grasp for safety, self-protection. They're going to continue to fight for their stuff, for control, for power, for money, for pleasure. And they're going to continue to you know, facilitate everything that makes for their own well-being. 
And they're going to be grasping for that, that sense of peace. And it's what Jeremiah said. He said, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Because there, there is tumult coming. So there's, there's massive disruption and massive blessing all at once. And this is where we kind of don't have it clear in the church. We kind of think, oh, it's, if it's God, it's blessed. Praise God and just happy and blessed and joy and good. And if it's the devil, it's bad. And it's just really American, honestly. It's more American than it is biblical because what the Lord teaches is that we rejoice in trials. We rejoice in tribulations. We rejoice in suffering. Like those things are not, um, they're not um, at odds with one another. They, they're not, you know, perpendicular. You actually, in the trial, you actually learn how to joy, how to, how to rejoice. You learn how to be, you know, what Paul said, he goes, you know, we were talking the other day about yanking verses out of context. And he says, uh, Philippians, you, you, so many people know this. And you see, you know, Tim Tebow, he put this on his like uh, eye black playing football. You know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that doesn't mean like you get to score 10 touchdowns today because you can do all things through Christ. When you read that in context, Paul, the verse before he says, I know how to be abased. And I know how to be to abound. I know how to suffer and I know how to experience the blessing of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's that's really the the narrative for the redeemed is that whether it's an onslaught of unbelievable blessing or if it's just an onslaught of unbelievable suffering, that our hearts are are secure. We're, We're stayed in him. We're at peace in Him, and we're, we're living, rejoicing, knowing that this age is, it's really just the internship. We're preparing for another age. We're preparing for the, the fullness of the kingdom. So the greatest transitional generation is the one at the end of the age where Jesus returns. And so, um, you know, the book of Revelation tells us there'll be 21 judgment events, those all happen after what Jesus described in Matthew 24, all these birth pangs that are going to ready the atmosphere of the earth. Then there's these 21 judgment events that culminates with Jesus on the planet. And the entire context of the earth will shift. Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem. He's going to, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That is the most radical, shocking deliberate, intentional transition. And here's the thing. Most people are completely unprepared for that, even after COVID. And the ideas about the Lord's coming, they literally live in cartoons in their brain. They just, it's almost like just some kind of like thing that's going to happen somehow, some out there somewhere, who knows. And they have, they have no like tactile sense of this is real. Jesus is really coming back. This is going to happen in time. Everything's going to shift. And I would just tell you, just as shocking as it was from March 1st to March 31st last year, 31st and March 31. Yeah, March is 31, right? So just as crazy as it went from March 1st to, you know, March 31st last year, like what? The world has exploded. Times that by a thousand. Because the context of the earth will, will shift in such a more dramatic way. And we were trying to be bold and clear. And, and I just, my heart is, is a little burdened over it because we were saying, hey, this is a small one. COVID is a small one. Yeah. 
Because what's coming is going to be so intense, so severe. And the moves of the Spirit that we've seen have been small ones. Because what's coming is going to be so intense, so severe. (laughs) And so that whole stew of things, God's doing it. And, And here's the thing. If you believe that uh, you are living in the generation in which the Lord is going to return, that's your future. So that's why, I mean, you know, it gives context to your life. Why am I breathing air on the planet right now? Feeling that? So let's think about then how God has used forerunners historically. So John the Baptist... He would be the most model forerunner. Okay, so the Lord raises up Jesus, you know, it's his cousin, to to declare and prepare the way of the Lord. He said, I'm a voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. And, And it's prophesied of John the Baptist that he was operating in the spirit and power of Elijah. So look at Luke 1, right there under Roman number 2. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay. And so, uh, man, you know, we, we get these images of biblical figures and we think, wow, that guy's like, epic and historic. And, and I think what we would all be shocked to find out is, man, if you got to know John the Baptist, he's probably just like a regular dude. You know, I mean, he lived a very focused and intentional lifestyle, but he was just a guy. You know, uh, Moses was a rich kid. You know, he was adopted into a rich family. Prince of Egypt, watch, watch the cartoon. I mean, it's awesome. You know, 40 years worth of just getting what he wanted. And, um, you know, God overnight clarifies for him what his identity is and then um, requires him to go through another 40 years of actual, like, training to become what he'd actually called him to be. And um, it's so instructive of the process, the way that the Lord actually, you know, works with people. But every one of these guys is regular guys. I'm telling you, when we meet the disciples, we're going to be blown away. Fishermen, tax collectors, like, I mean, Jesus went to the dude of the dudes. I mean, he just went to the regular dudes and just got himself a team and said, man, I, I can use anybody. I can use anybody. I can use a zealot. I can use Peter. I can use anybody. A little John. I mean, John's probably like, you know, 16. Maybe some scholars have him as young as 14. He's a young dude. You know, if you're in my class um, on Wednesdays, he's David. David's a throwaway. He's a throwaway kid. I mean, he just, I can use anybody. And so, you know, people go, they get a little amped up, like, God's using me. I must be anointed. And it's like, no, he'll, he'll use, like, really anybody. Yeah. In fact, he, he says, I choose the foolish things to confound the wise. He goes, uh... You know, and, and, then, and then when the disciples are getting it and the Pharisees aren't, Jesus, you know, you can almost feel like the disciples are going, we're getting it, we're getting it. And, and, and Jesus goes, Father, I praise you that you have revealed these things to absolute babies. <laughs> you just, 
You just dropped it on the children's church. Thank you, God. See, he'll use anyone. And, and John the Baptist is a great example. And so John the Baptist, um, he, he's, he's in the lineage of the priest, but he decides he doesn't want to, to grow up in that way. And, and commentators, they think he was a part of this um, religious sect called the Essenes. And if you've ever been in Israel, there's this place called Qumran. And it's just outside of Jerusalem. And it's interesting because they've got this kind of like... Um, I don't know how you would call it, maybe like a, a compound out there where these, these uh, priestly people used to live, but they, they were all into um, living aust- in austere lifestyles with real focus, intentional fasting, prayer separate from the religious system. They were, they were repudiating the, the compromise of the religious system of the day. And, um, and they literally did ceremonial washings. They did baptisms. They baptized themselves like all day long. Like they would literally get up in the morning and take a dip. And, and it was a sign. It was an external. The mikvah is a, is a, is a, a Jewish uh, rite. That's what the baptism was. And it, and it was a sign of washing away the filth of the flesh. So John the Baptist wasn't the first guy to come up with baptisms. It was something that was already in the Jewish religious practice. These washings, the priests were washed before that they were you know, consecrated. There's just so many versions of it. But, but it's likely John the Baptist was raised with the Essenes and, uh, and this idea of a baptism, this mikvah to go down and to come up was this sign that I'm shedding the dirt of my life and I'm going to live in righteousness again. So when John the Baptist is this voice and he's out in the wilderness and he's crying out, he's trying to get the people ready because he knows Messiah is coming and we're not ready. He's, he's saying, you guys, we, we have got sin everywhere, and we have got to get cleansed. And then the religious guys come out there, and he's like, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And John's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem 35, 40 years ahead. Because this thing is going down. He goes, we're going to have God in the flesh, and then it's going down. You guys need, you guys got to repent. Well, it would be, on this side of things, looking at John the Baptist ministry, you go, well, duh, of course, that was a, he, he had to say those things. But he's 40 years ahead of time. He looked really out of place. He looked odd. He looked weird to the establishment. But on the backside, it's like, oh, man, praise God. I'm glad he was there. What was that? That's the forerunner ministry. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children in the spirit of Elijah, turn the hearts of the children to the wisdom of the just. The children to the wisdom of the just is about the people coming into the revelation of righteousness and living that way. Not just living by the the religious system of the day, but saying, no, I wanna really live, I wanna live this out. You know, people ask us, so what's the main thing that, you know, that you guys are about? And, and is, it, is it your prayer room? Is it, what is it? Is it intimacy with God? Is it end times? Is it revival? What is it the main thing you're about? And, and really, when we've talked it through, the, the main thing we're about is a lifestyle. A lifestyle that lives in a way that makes sense day in and day out in light of what's coming. And you know, before the thing comes, it looks really weird. 
It looks odd. That's John the Baptist. That's Noah. Building a boat out in the desert. Come on, man. He goes, well, there's this stuff that's going to come out of the sky. It's called rain. Yeah, I mean, how freak, how much of a freak did he look like? The water's coming out of the sky. Yeah, it's going to come out of the sky. It's this new stuff. Because at that point, the earth had just been watered, you know, through the whole process of, you know, condensation and just the water going up in the atmosphere and just, you know, dew in the morning. That's how God had watered the whole earth until that time. He goes, yeah, there's a massive shift coming. Okay? Yeah, God's going to cause the water to come out of there, out of those things. Really, bro? Yeah, that's fun. You're, you're, okay, cool. You're a freak. And I mean, they're writing him off. He's doing that for 100 years. We've got to turn. Judgment's coming. We've got to turn. Judgment's coming. Two days after the rain began, everything he said made sense. For the 99 years and 364 days prior to the rain started, he looked like an absolute idiot. He's a forerunner. And so God, that's the sound that goes out. And that's what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 25 when he gave the parable of the the ten virgins, you know. um, Five with oil, five without. The five with oil had prepared to, to, you know, to wait long. They had the the oil. That's that's an emblem of intimacy. They prepared to stay, stay the long haul. The ones without, they didn't prepare it shows the difference between those that have heard the sound of the voice, the sound of the, the, the forerunner, the, the, the wedding is coming. So they went out to wait for the bridegroom. And then this final voice comes, the bridegroom is coming. And man, how wise did the, the wise virgins look, the ones that have you know, stored up the oil. That, those are forerunners. So... When we see John the Baptist, he's turning people to, back to the righteousness of God. He's calling them back to the ways of, of righteousness and justice. And he's turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, I know that we love that one for children's ministry. We love that Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6. And we'd love to put that one over the children's ministry door. And I appreciate that. And I think it is good about a fathering spirit in the church and fathers and children and all that. I think that's true. But I think there's this place, and you can, you can see this in Isaiah 63 at the end of the chapter, there's this place where what happens is the offspring of the fathers don't look like the fathers anymore until the fathers don't even recognize the children. Let me just show you this verse, Isaiah 63. Um, Isaiah 63, verse 16 I want to see what version I can uh, give it to you the cleanest in. Yeah, verse 16, here's New Living. Uh, he's asked, so he's, he's in intercession. He's asking for mercy. He goes, surely you are still our father, even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us. Lord, you would still be our father. You are our redeemers from ages past. He's talking about the apostolic fathers. He's talking about the fathers, you know, of faith. When they look down through the generations and they look at the current iteration, it's like, what would Paul, what was, what would Paul actually say right now about how the church looks? You know, would he go, yeah, that's exactly what I was preaching. 
That's exactly how we were living. Or would he be like, I can't even, uh, these guys, is that, what is that? Is that, that's the church? You see what I'm saying? So the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the ways of the just, it's about this, it's, a, it's honestly about this cosmic recon- reconciliation between the church in heaven and earth, where the historic church fathers, they look at the church in, in that season and they go, I recognize you. I see you. There's this change in the, in the way that the church lives. That's, that's the idea behind that. Um, and so, three, let's look at the distinctives. Um, a forerunner is one that prepares the way. Okay, we, 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 I've hit that 12 times. Think about the implications of if, if, um, if we were going to have, let's say our governor was coming here today, um, we would probably prepare some things for him. You know what I'm saying? We would probably like do some special stuff for him. Uh, we would make sure people, you know, there would be some, some version of security. There'd probably be some, some version of a reception. There'd be, you know, we would, we would get stuff ready. There's a preparing of the way. Um, the forerunner operates in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And there it is, the one, two, three, fathers back to the children, disobedient to the ways of the righteous, making ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's, that's what the forerunner's job is, is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so, uh, the, like, what I would think of as my life calling is to prepare people for the two greatest days that are still ahead of the earth. Massive global revival, massive global judgments. That's, that's in a nutshell, that's what, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Am I for church family? Yes. Am I for paying my bills on time? Yes. I have an amazing credit score. Like I do that, I do all those things. Like for real, I do. I have a savings account, I have investments. Yes, 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 yes. But when you, when you, when you boil me down, when you, when you crystallize me in a, in a crucible, what, what is it? I'm trying to get people ready for a massive harvest of souls, revival, and I'm trying to get them ready for the return of the Lord. That's it. That's it. Um, a, a forerunner lives alive in the love and joy of God. Now, I know that sounds crazy based on everything I've just said because you guys are like, Oh my God, it's all going down. It's going down today. And, and, and yes, it is. It's all going down. But the point is, when John the Baptist, who knew it was all going down, he heard Jesus' voice. He says, this joy of mine is full. There's a rejoicing and a delighting because of intimacy with God in the, um, just in the possibilities of his nearness. The forerunner, so you know, you know that, that mentality that um, sometimes young people be like, man, I don't want the Lord to come back because man, I got a lot of living left to do. And I'm like, I, I get it because you think that what you're actually gonna experience on this side is somehow better than what you're gonna experience with Jesus here with us in the flesh. I get it. It's a, it's a lack of understanding that puts you in that mode. And, and, and I understand why, why you'd say that. I don't, I don't want it to happen yet because I've got, you know, I want all these things. The forerunner goes, I love him. He's everything to me. 
And it's good for him to be here. It's bad for him to not. I want him more than air. That's, that's the shift that takes place. It's perspective. They're alive in the love and the joy of God. And so there's a happy heart that's burning in love. It's full of the joy of the Lord in light of the impending difficulty. Now that, that's such a different message. Like that's so like, huh? What do you mean? That's, that's how we live in light of his return, knowing that, man, he's the best thing. He, he's, he's, the, he's the great reward. Uh, John the Baptist, he was devoted to fasting and prayer. This is how forerunners live their life. Fasting and prayer, believing God, asking for breakthrough, looking for heaven's intervention and not looking for man's intervention. Just move, trying to move angels and demons, moving the atmosphere to see the things on the earth shift. This little fast we're on right now, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Some people engaging at different levels and, and, um, it's our, little, it's our little cup, it's our little Dixie cup of gasoline to pour on the fire of what God's already doing. We're, we're adding a little, like, oh, we just, but it's what we can give right now. You know, think about it. And then in the next age, you're going to step over, you're never going to fast again. You're going to be feasting forever. You only, get, you only get a few years on this side to even fast. You only get to suffer in this age. There's no suffering coming in the other age. You know, to, to try to insulate ourselves from suffering at all costs is actually to steal from ourselves one of the blessednesses in fellowship. Philippians 3.10, I may know in the powers of resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And we have almost no palate for that in the Western church. The Western church is like blessing at all costs, comfort at all costs. Man, there's a deep fellowship in suffering with Jesus. Don't waste a good suffering. When they say bad stuff about you, just oh, bless them. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you and abuse you. Don't waste a good suffering. Because in that place of pain and difficulty, man, oh man, there's a beauty in it because you find Jesus in a way you could never have found him before. So Devoted to fasting and prayer, we're bold in proclamation without compromise. And this is becoming, it's, it seems so evident, and it's becoming so uncool right now. I mean, if they put me on a TV show and they said, tell us what you really believe. Whole world's watching. What do you think about homosexuality? I mean, it would be milliseconds until they ran me off that show. But here's what we don't realize. In a room like this, we can say, okay, homosexuality is a sin. It's got to be repented of. Yes, God loves the, the sinner, he hates the sin. We, we say that real easy, real clean. All the cameras on, all the lights on, million people watching you. How bold is your boldness? The only way that you can have a boldness to match the pressure and the sway of this world and the, the pressure of the media and public opinion. And I mean, you know, you go, on, you go on a news channel and say homosexuality is a sin right now. You are viral. I mean, your social media will light up like a pinball machine. <laughs> How do you stand against that? 
The only way is you actually love Him more than you love your own life. Yeah, there's so there's so many. I don't know. She, like, I, I, called in the spotlight about homosexuality and gave like a really soft answer. And it's so hard. I, I, I don't fault anybody that it, it's just I, I don't want to do that, but I, I get it. Like, I get why. I've got dear friends who when the camera came on and CNN was in their face, he said, so is gay marriage wrong? Oh, yeah. And it just it didn't come out strong. The, I mean, the boldest people I know. And I just think to myself, I'm not going to act like, well, I would have done it. Bless God. And here's the, here's the deal. There's dudes that will do that, and they do it completely in the wrong spirit. They may have said the truth, but they did it with such negative sauce on it, they weren't even coming from the spirit of the Lord. They're just coming out of their own human arrogance. And, and it, there's a, there is a lane in the meekness and the boldness of God, the love of God and the care of, for people with a, they, a warning and an anointing where you speak right into the middle of it. The truth, you speak truth to power in a way that, man, it, it just it silences mouths. And though they rail and rage against you, you're, you're in that zone where the only audience you care about right now is Jesus. The only way that you'll have boldness in that theater is if you've got intimacy when no lights are on, when no cameras are on. You see, Christianity cannot be a system of belief that you follow. It has to be an intimate relationship that you have with this man, Jesus, and that at all costs you would not sell him out. Because where this thing is going is Revelation 12, verse 10. They overcame him. They, the church, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, through the power of redemption, the grace of God, the power of redemption, the word of their testimony, standing firm and declaring what, how Jesus has rescued them, saved them, delivered them. The blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and this is where the whole church is going, and not loving their own lives even unto death. The mature bride is so in love with Jesus that even her own life seems like an easy offering. Guys, think about it. That's where the church has to go. Where are we right now? I mean, we are a little pressure. And the boldest people I know that are witnessing gets a little shaky. And I'm not saying I'd be any better. I mean, just, I'm just being honest. Like, the boldest ones I know, I've seen them go, get out there and I go, whoa, bro, that was, that was rough. And there's got to be a cultivation in the secret place of intimacy where your eyes are locked on his eyes and you know him so, so deeply, so dearly. Because there is coming a pressure on the earth like we have never seen. And I'm not talking about just judgments. I'm I'm talking about the rage of Satan. Revelation 17 describes a harlot that the whole world will be drunk with the wine that's in the cup that she's drinking. The whole world gets drunk with it. And I would tell you that harlot, that's the Babylonian system that's already in the earth. It's a, it's a system and influence. It's pushing a, a worship and, a, and an immorality and, a, and a, a false 
thing that the, the earth is imbibing and drinking in right now. And, and, and I, I just, I'm just suspect of popularity. I just, I don't get it. Think this through just from it. Zoom out. Of just, just imagine, okay, we're, we're used to fashion trends and songs and things that go viral and blow up in popularity. What is making that popular? What's the influence that's moving on people's hearts that in mass they would all at the same time decide something is popular? A fashion trend, a song, an artist, a, a I'm, I'm very suspect of what's popular. I just, I'm super suspect of it because there's influences behind those things that we don't quite get. And we don't even think, if you'll just step back half a step and go, why am I into what I'm into? Why are the things that interest me, why are they interesting to me? Yeah, no, it's, it's, if you think about it, because here's why. Watch this. You'll get a fashion trend, it will pop in Paris, London, LA, New York, all these places all at once. What's pushing that? Huh? Yeah, I mean, what's pushing that stuff? Yeah, there's gotta be some influences behind those things that we aren't actually perceiving. Well, boldness without, without compromise, I, you know, these other things sound intense. I think that's the, that might be the hardest one. Yeah. Boldness without compromise. And I mean, I've I've done it, and it, but I haven't I haven't done it in front of news cameras and an in an audience that hates me. I've done it in church, with a with the people that supposedly love me and they don't love me. But you know what I'm saying? Like, and I get up there, and I'm saying something super hard, and I'm 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 shaking, as I'm saying the hard thing, to us. I'm like, oh man, put me in front of a bunch of like people that hate Christians and then require me to say the same thing. Ooh. I, I need it. I need a deeper intimacy with him. I want to get so rooted and grounded in love. I want to be so inebriated. I want to be so drunk. You know how a drunk person, they'll just say whatever. I want to be so drunk in Jesus that it doesn't matter the stage you put me on, I will just show out. <laughs> With humility and meekness, glory to God. Because that, that other mistake we make is we imagine that John the Baptist was this railing voice yelling, brood of vipers! You know, basically, we just we almost think John the Baptist is like going, you all suck, you need to repent. And he's just not like that. He's full of joy. Wow. I can almost feel, I, I can almost see John the Baptist going, brood of vipers. Guys. What's happening? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What's happening inside of your heart? I, I know what you're like. Have you come to be baptized? Okay. All right. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think he gets a bad rap. I love the Chosen series. I just wish they would have done John the Baptist a little different. Anyway, they made him this deranged kind of weirdo guy. I said, not that way. This guy, this guy had the most clarity. He's the, he's the clearest prophetic voice among all the disciples, that whole group. He, 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 he sees everything that's coming down before he's born again. I mean, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. 
he's carrying a message and he is the message. That's the point. When you actually have a prophet, God makes that prophet the message. The voice of one crying in the wilderness was a voice proclaiming a message in the wilderness. He actually was in that wilderness path, misunderstood, completely, you know, rejected, but still declaring with boldness the truth of the Lord's coming and the necessity of repentance. Does that make sense? He said he's a burning and shining lamp. That, that phrase, John 5.35, man, he's a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his life. He's burning in intimacy and he's shining in proclamation. Do you see it? Like the fire of intimacy is burning in his heart. And then from that place of intimacy, he's shining in holiness and he's shining to a generation. That's how we're supposed to live burning in intimacy with Jesus. And then that thing just comes out everywhere we go. And you know that. You've, you've been around that person. They're so close to the Lord. And then you, you get around them and you go, whoo. I felt like I was like, you know, talking to the Lord right there. I know it's just, you know, Susie, but man, <laughs> something's on her, man. Like, I feel convicted and comforted and, you know, like everything. I just had an encounter. And she just said hi. It was crazy. Anyway. All right. Page two. Spiritual violence of John the Baptist. Look at this. This is often quoted and often um, misunderstood. Uh, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And so this interesting thing about this forerunner ministry is that he actually was attracting a crowd. There was a magnet on him. They were walking uh, hours, five hours out into the wilderness to, to, to meet him. But Jesus pulls out this point. He goes, you guys were going out because you wanted a show. The entertainment of Christian preachers was alive and well in Jesus' day. What did you go out there to see? A reed shaking in the wind? You just want to see something like a, a, this unusual sight? You, you want to see this guy dressed in, you know, you thought he'd be dressed in these, you know, soft clothes? No, no. You, you, you have completely come out here with the wrong motives. You came out to hear the sensational prophet but where's your heart? And man, it's like such a word to the church. Like we are so enthralled with Christian entertainment, Christian books, Christian music, Christian conferences, Christian everything. But are we enthralled with Jesus? Are we enthralled with Him? Is our heart burning for Him? Are we, are we literally going through, raking the field of our lives and getting out all the stones and the sticks and the garbage because we want to live in a way that's intimate with Him, that's real, that's righteous. It's, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about living a laid-down life and getting every other thing out of the way, all the compromises, all the other lovers, getting that crud out of our lives so we can live with an intimacy that's burning. He says, guys, you don't even realize this, This guy is the one preparing the way of the Lord. He goes, the spirit of Elijah is in your generation. It's happening right now. There's a forerunner spirit in the land and you missed the point. That's that's what Jesus is saying right there. 
You missed the point. The spirit of Elijah is preparing the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is the voice of one crying, and you wanted to see a spectacle. You wanted a new conference buzz. So then look at what he says, verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm not going to exegetically unpack that whole thing. There's such a giant amount of truth there. But here's the, here's the point I want to extract. It's D, that John's ministry marked a change. He goes from the days of John the Baptist forward, even until now. He goes, there is a new way that things are going. And the way is, it's spiritual violence. That's what he says. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The idea is this, this mentality, this heart posture of spiritual violence. Now, spiritual violence is probably not what you would immediately think when you think of that, that terminology. You might imagine, again, the wild John the Baptist from Chosen screaming at people. Um, but spiritual violence is so different. It's standing against that First John 5.19 sway of the world. It's standing in the opposite spirit of everything the world is trying to cram down your throat. John the Baptist stood in completely the opposite mode. And so spiritual violence is empowered by two things. It's that burning and shining. It's a heart burning and passionate love for Jesus and a recognition of the urgent hour. Spiritual violence is the order of the day for the forerunner. The only way that you stand firm, preparing the way at the end of the age is having a spiritually violent heart. And that the first step of that is, is radical intimacy with Jesus, falling so in love with him. That's why we emphasize bridal paradigm. That's why we emphasize father heart. That's why we teach Song of Solomon. That's why we teach the knowledge of God so that people can fall in love with Jesus. Most people are mostly scared of Jesus because they think he's, uh, God's mostly angry, mostly mad. And so their prayer life is like, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And if you could just heal Sally, that'd be so good. I know I don't deserve that, but please. He goes, dude, that is not why I went to the cross. I went to the cross because I want to be close to you. Talk to me and I'll talk to you. I want to tell you my secrets. I want to hear what's on your heart. I want to, I want to be close to you. One of my um, sons the other day asked me, he said, uh, Dad, is God just trying to get people saved? Is he just trying to get salvations? And I said, no, he's trying to get relationships. Salvation, the process of that is the tool, it's the mechanism he uses for relationship, the cross, sanctification, justification, all these things, repentance, coming to faith, confession, all of that is a means to form relationship. That's what this is about. So spiritual violence is intimacy, urgency, and it lives in fasting and prayers, we said, flip over. It lives in humility and meekness. It lives in boldness and righteousness. 
servanthood and generosity, forgiveness and faithfulness. When I say righteousness, you can just put it in parentheses next to it, repentance. Because the way you live in righteousness is not by doing a bunch of righteous works and proving it. It's, yes, do the righteous acts, but also when you screw up, just confess it. It's the most shocking thing. He actually says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. This lie that has permeated the churches that if you sin, you're like scarlet letter and you're like ostracized. No, the, what, what's taught in the New Testament is if you sin, you just repent. Not the, not the you know, fake version of repentance, like I, I repent and don't change, no, but the real one, like I turn back to you and you're completely clean, you're completely justified, set free instantaneously in that moment. We, we have to normalize repentance so that it's not like, ooh, dude just repented. Ooh. It's like terrible. No, we got to normalize it. That's why you'll hear me like yesterday. I'll go, well, I'm going to confess some sin today. Not that sin is light or a light thing, but no, it's real. But we got to get it out and experience the cleansing. The conviction is good. Conviction is a good thing. Get that junk out and then experience the cleansing and the mercy and the grace of God. Praise God. That's living righteously. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up. That's the point. A righteous guy. All right. Last bit. Then I got to go. But to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's rebuking them for how they treated the foreigner in their midst. He goes, Let me ask you. He goes, What's your generation like? He goes, Here's what you guys are. You're a bunch of people who are saying... Uh, you're not what we expected you to be. We, you know, you're like a, a children sitting in the marketplace calling their companions and saying, we played the flute and you didn't dance and we mourned and you didn't lament. Here's us. We're doing what, what you're supposed to respond to us like, but you're not responding that way. That's what, that's what he says. You're, you're just like these children. You're trying to get us to fit into your picture. He goes, you guys have to fit into our picture, me and John the Baptist. And he goes, your problem is we're not what you expected. And you, and, and you don't know what to do with that. You don't know what to do that God would introduce his precious son to the earth with a man who didn't come through the priesthood and, and the way that everybody wanted him to, to be. You, you have a problem with that. And, and you have a problem that what, a, a, a man from, from Nazareth whose, whose mom was rumored to be a, to be a harlot, who, a, a guy who was rumored to be a bastard, you have a problem with that that I would be Messiah. Yeah, you played the flute. We didn't dance. We're not what you thought. And he's kind of like, you got to get over that. He goes, you know, uh, he goes, you, you, of John, he, he comes neither eating nor drinking. So John has this, he's got this really a, 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 a aesthetic lifestyle where he's like totally uh, ascetic lifestyle where he's totally like disciplined. And, um, 
and they go, God, John didn't eat or drink, he's fasting all the time. He's clearly got a demon. Oh, so the, the radical lifestyle, that's demonized. And then Jesus comes going to all the parties and having, having the drinks with the tax collectors. Oh, him, he's a sinner. One's got a demon, one's, got a, one's just a sinner. He's false. He goes, we are not what you, what you wanted. We're not what you expected. He goes, but I will tell you something. On the backside of this, wisdom will be justified by her children. Don't imagine this thing to go the way you think it's going to go because he goes, I'm God. And, and, and so really that's, that's sort of the, the exclamation point on the forerunner lifestyle. Uh, the forerunner is despised, often misunderstood, often rejected, but in the end, wisdom is justified. And, um, you know, I, I had to sort of settle it, right? Like, I'm probably not going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people for a long time. Like, I'm just not. And it's not because I'm trying to be confusing or it's not because I'm trying to be mystical, but I'm trying to be true to a biblical lifestyle that makes sense in light of the end of the age. I'm trying to give myself to living a certain way today that makes light, I mean, makes, uh, makes sense in light of what's coming, revival and the return of the Lord. And it may not look like it makes any sense on this side. It may be looking like Noah. It might look like John the Baptist. But in the end, wisdom will be justified. And, and so that's the thing that I think that, that that has to get down in your gut. Like, am I living for the praise of men? Or am I living for the pleasures of God? I mean, some of you guys are really young. Like, if you get this in your heart right now, it will make such a difference when you're 25, 35, 45 in the Lord tarries. Your whole trajectory of your life will shift. But I'll tell you where the temptation comes. It's sort of easy to throw away your 20s. But man, when you get 30 and you're supposed to have something to show for your life and you've got 10 years of fasting and prayer and that's it. I'm telling you, man. I, you know, some of you guys are young coming into this internship into a place that does night and day prayer, it's like, okay, that's, that might have been a little bit of a, a stretch. I feel like, okay, well, they're young. They'll do the weird thing for a minute. But I'm going to tell you, the rubber, I've watched the rubber meet the road with 30-year-olds who've been doing this thing five or 10 years. And they look up at 30 and they go, I thought I would have a degree and I thought I would have a house and I thought I would this, that, and the other and a salary and a 401k started and I'm 30 and I don't, I don't have, they, 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 all of a sudden, the voice of the accuser what have you done? What, you, you spent yourself for nothing. I don't, I don't have anything that I thought I was going to have, and, and revival's not here yet, and you know, where is the promise of His coming? And I'm telling you, wisdom will be justified. When it's all sorted out, it's all said and done, I'm living for, I'm really living for one day, I'm preparing for two, but living for one I'm preparing for the revival and the return of the Lord, but the, I'm preparing for those days, but the day I'm really living for is the one where I get the job review. You get it, right? Like, we're going to get our whole life reviewed. What did you do? 
with the 70 or 80 years I gave you, what'd you do? And I just go, man, I do not want to stand in that job review and have a, have a conversation with Jesus that I don't want to have. I want to have a conversation where he goes, bro, you weren't perfect, but you were cute. You tried. You tried, man. Way to go, guy. You failed often, but man, my grace was there. But you know what? I like you. And here's a, here's a crown for you. I'm going to go, wait, I blew it often. And what did you just say? And, I, and you're rewarding me? He goes, that's right. Wait, I couldn't have made it without your grace. He goes, I know. Here, have another reward. Wait, how is it? Wait, what are you, why are you giving me rewards when your grace carried me? Because your heart continued to say yes. You continued to lean in. Don't negotiate yourself out of this, guys. I've had people, after I've preached to them and stuff, they go, man, I wish you hadn't told me that. I go, why? Well, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be accountable for it. I just think, you know, there's, as, just as a preacher, there's a place in you where you just go, God, I, I don't want my words just to be the measuring stick that you apply to somebody when they stand before you. I want them to be agents of change that cause hearts to move and cause trajectories and destinies to shift. You know, you don't... Most of what they're telling you is important is not important. Most of what the world's pushing is important is not important. Most of what the church is pushing right now is important is not important. It's just not. A burning heart, a free conscience, free heart, love, humility, giving it away. That's, what's, that's what matters. Wisdom will be justified by her children. So undoubtedly, um, you guys are in an internship like this because these truths, these thoughts appear to prick you somewhere sometime. I just think you have to ask the Lord, take it to the prayer room, like everything else. That uh, is how I live day to day. Does it make sense in light of the end of the age? It's how I'm living day to day. Does it make sense in light of massive revival and the return of the Lord? You, you really got to wrestle that out. And then you got you to decide what's the lifestyle you'd have me to live. Not everybody's called to be on staff at IHOP, at the intercessory missionary. But we are all called to live fasting and prayer, burning and intimacy and laid down with hearts that are alive and awake and, and, and you know, preparing for the things that are coming on the earth. He gave us the headlines so that we would live in a way that makes sense. And it may not look like it makes sense to the carnal-minded, but man, wisdom will be justified. Cool. Let me pray for you guys. So, Lord, I'm asking the truths of the forerunner ministry, the forerunner message, the forerunner lifestyle, that these truths would be they would just be so emblazoned on our hearts. They would burn in us. God, I'm asking that you would pierce us. Come, Holy Spirit. Cause these things to resonate in us. Let not the words fall to the ground, I pray, God. Let them... Let them become a, a harvest in us, 30, 60, and 100-fold. 
and set these forerunners on a trajectory. God, set them in a way that you would have them to live. We just give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys.